is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right of the London is Blue podcast. Hopefully, your favorite Chelsea podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here again. And look, we have a packed show for you today. Unlike the footballers we regularly talk about, we are not on a lavish holiday. It's not a luxurious getaway. We are in the thick of it. We're continuing to talk about Chelsea and how they're retooling this summer to prepare for another difficult Premier League campaign. We're joined today, as usual, on occasion, by Sam, you know, of CFC Central as our regular scout of record. And Sam, I'm pretty excited because we've actually bolstered our squad today. We've got a, a three-man team that, I don't know, in terms of conversation analysis, might might on paper might be but in the best ones in the the world football conversation today uh we have john mckenzie writer and presenter from tifo football joining us you know him for the funny videos we know him for the fact that on january 31st of this year he tweeted at this point i couldn't tell you who doesn't or does or doesn't play for chelsea which actually in the current moment john is a pretty accurate feeling for most people to have not just chelsea players and fans yeah, I mean, I'm sure in the time that you've recorded that intro, something has happened to change the shape of the squad at Chelsea. So, yeah, we'll do our best to try and keep on top of what's going on, who's where, who isn't where. And, uh, yeah, really looking forward to to talking about Chelsea. I'm glad that you picked a, a tweet that is palatable about Chelsea because I did tweet uh, about Thomas Tuchel once and that didn't go down well with Chelsea fans. So um, thank you for picking the nice tweet. And that's the tweet that actually introduced me to you. So I think some good did come out of that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All good, all good, don't worry. Well, we're very excited. And maybe for people who don't know, I am, would be surprised if they don't. Would you maybe want to kind of share just a little bit more about you know, what your background is so that people understand? I, I've watched the TIFO stuff for a long time. I enjoy it a lot. I, you know, People probably got more exposure to it when the conversation with The Athletic kicked off and the partnership there. But for those who don't know John, maybe we can give him a quick introduction before we get into some conversation. Yeah, sure. I mean, I am essentially a failed academic. I intended to become a lecturer in philosophy, um, which, yeah, was would have given me a lot less exposure than I'm getting now with my current job at TIFO. But uh, by by dint of fortuitousness, I ended up moving into the football media space. Um, I've done work with various outlets, uh, did a bit of freelance work, worked for um, a, a data analytics company for a little while as well. Um, but yeah, my, my current job is with Tifa Football, which, as you've said, is attached to The Athletic. Um, it's now more generally, I guess, considered as the video arm of The Athletic, and we're expanding our team on a regular basis. So yeah, th- that that's a really exciting place to be and uh, lots of exciting work to be done there. But I think what we're... Um, what we're most known for is, at least from my end, is the tactics videos. So doing presentation to camera videos, just um, helping people to understand what's going on on the field as well. But my colleagues do um, illustrated videos, which focus on the political, cultural side of football as well. Um, and yeah, hopefully we we offer a sort of interesting, um, a, a scant view into the world of football, which is obviously so important for so many people in so many different ways. So yeah, really great place to be. Uh, I, I have a really great job and uh, yeah, hopefully we can have a fun chat about Chelsea off the back of some of the work that I've been doing there. Well, yeah, we've had a chance to enjoy the content that you've been putting out. Today, we're going to get into a little bit of that squad building. And again, this is current as of Wednesday afternoon, US time. Things may have changed from time of recording to time of release in the following morning with players going in or out of Chelsea. So we'll caveat that at the very beginning and multiple times throughout the episode, just in case you want to question where we're at. We're going to talk a little bit about Pochettino and how we think he might want to set up or what things could look like under his reign at Chelsea. And then we do have some wonderful listener questions that we're going to be getting into as well. Uh, But before we do that, we just want to say, as always, thank you to our wonderful community of Chelsea supporters listening to the podcast. We just can't thank you enough for continuing to support us just through listening to the podcast or watching it on YouTube. But the best way that you can support us is through Patreon, patreon.com slash LondonBluePod. There are free ways to support the show, though, which just include subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or leaving wonderful five-star reviews, maybe about how much you enjoy John coming on the show or why you think Sam is the best of the bunch. 
All of those things are fair to share in a five-star review, or you can just subscribe to YouTube for free. We are on a push to 25,000 subscribers, which would be really awesome. And if just under 10% of you actually follow the podcast on Spot and YouTube as well, we'd be over that goal. And then we could push to a new goal. So if you could help us out there, we'd really appreciate it. It helps us compete with the likes of the Sorry, John. Athletics of the world who control the media empire, the media machine. Mm -hmm. And we would love that support. But that enough of that. Enough of that. We want to get into talking about squad building. And just kind of maybe to set the stage, I think Sam put the notes in here. Sam, you've kind of detailed the movement that's going on right now. And we can kind of start with where the movement's at before we start to address maybe the questions of what happens next. Uh, definitely, I I think this is going to sound a bit like a weather report, but, uh, you know, we've got a lot of offers from Saudi Arabia, a lot of controversy there in terms of PIF helping us out at a time of need. But as of now, I would say uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and Callum Hudson-Odoi, two players who have potential interest from Saudi, but um, not really cemented into a bid as yet. Matteo Kovacic today got uh, a here we go from Fabrizio Romano as did Kai Havertz. Both of them are on their way to Manchester City and Arsenal, respectively. Uh, Kalidou Koulibaly, Hakim Ziyech, and uh, Edouard Mendy, all three of them on their way to Saudi Arabia. Mason Mount actually had um, a second bid for him from Manchester United, but that was rejected. It was a 45 plus 5 million uh, pounds, but uh, we are looking for closer to 60 plus 5. So an agreement could be reached in the next couple of days, weeks, according to David Ornstein. So hopefully we'll keep uh, an eye on that. N'Golo Kante, a club legend, a lot of people sort of, you know, um, wispy with, with nostalgia today on the timeline. So he's on his way uh, to Saudi Arabia as well. Well-deserved. I think nobody has any complaints on that front. Uh, Dennis Zakaria and Joao Felix, two guys who had come on loan last season from Atletico Madrid as well as Juve, have also gone back to their clubs. And finally, this morning, we had an update that Trev Chaluba is in talks with Inter Milan regarding a loan plus obligation deal. So hopefully we'll see how that progresses in the coming days. That's all for today. And uh, over to you. <laughs> I thought you were going to end with a cheeky little weather report from your, your home to understand what the conditions were well, to wrap all, on your weather sun, report. On sunny skies today, I would say. I mean, absolutely lovely weather we're having here. So hopefully that continues over the weeks, I would say. I mean, it's been a fantastic day, hopefully, for everybody in the Chelsea fan base. We've made approximately 100 million already might be pushing to 200 with the, the potential outgoings. We've also moved somewhere around um, 80 million of the wage bill a year. So I would say overall, like John said, I think if you have to start from scratch, this is the perfect thing Pochettino could have asked for. You know, you start with a clean slate and you do that by finalizing your outgoings and making space in the squad. Yeah, and to that point, John, you had released a video talking about the squad problem at Chelsea and the challenges of starting to trim it down for Pochettino so he doesn't come in and play the name where he would need to have name tags on everybody to remember the names. Um, but in your analysis, I know that you were highlighting some players who you thought made sense, like who should be there, who are the individuals who are going to benefit from Pochettino being there, and maybe who some are not necessarily going to benefit or be less likely to be like a starter there's tons of restriction or you know guidelines around building a squad, but maybe we could just kick it off by asking, who are the players that you've looked at in your analysis saying this individual looks ready to be maybe higher in the pecking order or have an approved position because Pochettino is coming in? Well, I should say that the video that I made on Pochettino was made actually before he was announced so it's very early on um the squad build up back then was very different to what it is now and i think there's a lot to say about the way that the the squad is structured uh, at chelsea i think there is an argument to be made that part of the reason why antonio conte uh you know has left clubs in a bad state is because he builds squads to fit his his back three system and often he will be replaced by someone who moves closer to a back four system. So we've seen that with a few clubs, obviously a couple of his Italian sides still playing back three systems, but um, we're seeing the same sort of thing happening right now at, at Spurs. So I've just done a sensible transfers video looking at Spurs and the big problem that they have is that they moved away from a back three system to a back four system under Ange Postacoglu. And the problem with that is that you end up 
generating width in different areas on the pitch, uh, depending on which kind of squad that you have. I think this the same is true of Chelsea to a to a degree. So um when you when you use a back three system, usually you're you're finding that width through wing backs um rather than uh wide players and, and full backs. Um and I think the one of the big problems that, that Chelsea had under Thomas Tuchel was that you know you're sort of priced in to a back three system. So Thomas Tuchel ended up playing that three four three for most of his time. Uh he did attempt at times to move away from that, but uh, I think it is pretty tricky to to actually um uh reset your squad from particularly that direction actually from a back three to a back four rather than a back four to a back three system. Um, and I think this is why this summer I think should be considered pretty positively for Chelsea fans because um, you're doing that work now. You're um, you're 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 sort of pulling everything back to basics. You're um, going to be doing a, 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 a huge sell on um, and it, it just leaves you with a, a little bit of a of a blank slate, as a, uh, I think was the phrase that you used, that that can mean that you can start again. Um, so just looking at this this squad now, as as I've roughly got it, um, you you asked me about the players who I think um, make it a lot of sense, and the problem is is that the players that I said um, were a lot of made, made a lot of sense um, have moved on since I've suggested that. So uh, one of those was Kovacic, who I said was a quite a nice. Um, correlate for someone like Moussa Dembele. Uh, obviously, he's moving on to Manchester City. And then um, Mason Mount was was another player who obviously hasn't moved on yet, but there's a lot of speculation about him potentially moving to Manchester United if they can agree on, on a transfer value for him. Could well be the case that he actually ends up staying on at Chelsea if he if that doesn't get agreed and then he'll just run down his contract and I think there's a you know that's a potential work that I know nothing about the details of that by the way I should I should uh, emphasize that but that is still a possibility and I think that you know that's not the worst thing to happen for someone like Mauricio Pochettino because I think someone like Mason Mount would actually be super um functional for him would solve could solve problems uh, across across the, the the attacking units in different areas depending on what he's left with uh, at the end of the window as well so um yeah i'm really interested to see what happens with mason mount because i think he would be someone who both would be attractive to poch as a as an op- uh, as a squad piece um but also you know it, it could work well for him as well because i feel as though he would he would uh, prove to be a, a really important part of the of the puzzle that the poch has to solve um do you want me to just run through a couple of players who i think that actually do benefit from this or is that is that the next question i'm just i just want to make sure i'm not jumping ahead of the no that's order. perfect that's directionally where we want to go Okay, so um, I've I've had a look through the the squad, and I think that in terms of where things are at now, the squad is looking way more healthy than it was. Um, the the I suppose the questions that I would have would 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 primarily be centered around central midfield, actually, and that's again because I feel as though this um, the 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 midfielders that you have um, have have uh, well, don't necessarily suit. A, a double pivot in particular. Um, I think someone who benefits is Enzo Fernandez because I think he was being played as a six and I don't think that suits his best upside. Um, so I think it's going to be Enzo Fernandez plus someone next to him and then probably uh, Nkunku in front of him. So there's a, as far as the squad that I've got in front of me, there's, there's not really anyone who I think is going to be a great partner to Enzo Fernandez. So I think that'll be an area that can be worked on over the summer. Uh, but in terms of the big winners, I think it will be the, the, the fullbacks, um, Chilwell and James, and then you've got behind them, Lewis Hall, uh, and Malagusto as well, because Pochettino uses his fullbacks quite extensively. Um, and I think that's just a fantastic stable of, of, potential fullbacks to 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 use so i think they're going to be the real winners there and then in the forward line i guess um Mikhailo mudrick i think is going to be a winner here because he's a, just a fantastic transition player and um pochettino will get them playing fantastic transition football um don't think he gave the best account of himself during the last season at chelsea but i think that um there's reasons for that um and to be honest with you like anything that happened last season i think i would take with a pinch of salt not treat it as indicative of anything um and look forward to maybe seeing some of these players that you did bring bring in last season who didn't shine actually um uh, standing out a little bit more so yeah excited to see what happens in the fullback areas excited to see what happens with enzo fernandez playing in in a two man midfield or in a double pivot with someone alongside him um and yeah yeah mudrick i think will will um also be one of the ones to benefit i've already mentioned the kunku um 
again, I don't see Nkunku as someone who necessarily benefits from Pochettino, um, but I do think that that Chelsea will benefit from having Nkunku under Pochettino, if that makes sense. So um, that'll be another exciting one to see uh, play out as well. Uh, John, is there a reason why in the fullback uh, section you left out to Korea or uh, sort of like, is there a, is there a way back for him in, in the sense that, you know, you said about Mudrik that maybe last season we had a lot of instability, maybe the same with him because he had tonsillitis, lost a lot mm-hmm. of weight had a home burglary where a lot of off-field issues were sort of going on. So from the limited stuff that you've seen at Brighton, do you think he could be somebody that that fits into the Pochettino mode as well? Yeah, I mean, I've got on my squad list here, I've got Kukurea and Aspilicueta as as elbow backs. So that's sort of someone who can move between a, an outside centre-back and, and, and a full-back as you need it. Um, and I think that, you know, he's he's fantastic to have if you've got a manager who's doing that. So Thomas Tuchel is going to benefit from that from that. Uh, Graham Potter is going to benefit from that, obviously, because uh, that, and that's partly why he was brought in. Um, I'm sort of on the fence as to how Pochettino would use a player like Kukurea. Um, and to be honest with you, like a, a big question surrounding Pochettino for me is that I, given that he's been at PSG for a, a couple of seasons, I find it really hard to sort of read what he's going to do tactically because I feel as though PSG is a a place where when you go as a a coach who wants to try tactical ideas that you're sort of stymied to an extent given the some of the the players that you have to work with particularly in terms of the pressing side of things but I think just more in general the the expectation is is that you've got to get your best players on the pitch and 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 sort of they coach the the coach in many respects so um that may that may be a little bit too um simplistic perhaps but um it just means that when I'm thinking about the way that that Poch is going to be at Chelsea, there's there's almost like a a, a few seasons of, of of blank space that I'm not entirely sure what to make of. Um, and if you go back to then the Spurs Pochettino, I think there's certain things that are happening that were happening there that that maybe aren't um, as applicable to in in the in the in this. I guess, hyper-modern game now. Um, so it could be the case that, I don't know, Pochettino comes in and starts doing interesting things with, you know, situational back threes, flexible uh, outside centre-backs. And, you know, he does play back threes. Uh, and, and In which case, I think Kukure and, and Aspilicueta could well be functional pieces in that puzzle. Um, but if he does go with a back four, um, then... I can't see uh, Kukurea necessarily being used that much, but may, I, I, I may well be wrong on that. And um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on that, Sam. Definitely. I think uh, we've been speculating in terms of what he would do tactically because, you know, from Spurs to PSG, you go from pressing to depressing. So mm-hmm. um, you're trying to sort of figure out a tactical plan, but like you said, incredibly tough to to execute. Um, I think there is still, you know, a possibility that you've got two midfielders who also play left back. I mean, if you see Lewis Hall, he's somebody mm-hmm. who's able to invert into central midfield, sure. Sure. maybe provide a little bit of support to to Mikhailo Mudrik, who isn't really known for his uh, defensive work. So maybe if he's looking at a 2-3-5 in attack and possession, then maybe that's sort of like a structure he uses to, mm-hmm. to help in counter-pressing situations. I also think those are the kind of situations in which Kukureya is best. You don't want him defending in his own sort of attack, in his own defensive third. You want him to be pressing very quickly. You don't want him flat-footed, caught, you know, on backpedaling or any of the sort. So if you do find a role for him on the left-hand side, I think that would be the ideal fit. But again, I think it's just me speculating at this point. I'm not sure the sabbatical that Pochettino has taken, what exactly his ideas are or how they've evolved since his time at PSG. It's also worth saying that when Pochettino was playing at Spurs, he was so aggressive with his fullbacks. And often what you end up ha- having in those situations is usually a halfback dropping in between the two centre-backs, pushing the centre-backs wider. Um, but in many respects, you know, what Pochettino was doing with fullbacks is similar to what what uh, Jurgen Klopp did with fullbacks um, when when his, you know, heavy pressing football needed to get creativity from somewhere. Um, and I, I think the whole of the last couple of seasons has been Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool trying to solve the problem of how do you protect those spaces in behind your fullbacks. Um, one of those has been, as, as we know, inverting Trent Alexander-Arnold, but using uh, Andrew Robertson as as a little bit more of a, you know, a situational outside 
um, outside centre-back. And I, I guess the same could be true with Pochettino. I don't know. Again, all of this is speculating because, as I said, there's there's just a huge blank space where it's, it's kind of hard to read what Pochettino will do. But again, if you wanted to do something like that and have your flying full-back on one side and maybe a little bit more of a conservative one on the other, then someone like Kukurea would would work well um, there as well but i yeah I, it's 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 really hard to know because again as we say we don't know what's going to happen by the end of the window it could be even the case that some of these players have moved on well we've got plenty more that we're going to talk about we are going to take a very quick first ad break we want to thank these sponsors for supporting the show and we will be right back with more tactical conversation and analysis of chelsea heading into the 2023-2024 season Bird Dogs make you look good. That's right, Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restrictive cotton. Bird Dogs uses anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. So look, I've got a pair. Dan's got a pair. Nick's got a pair. We actually love them. But not only do you get Bird Dogs right now, if you buy, you get a free Tumblr. That's right. You get a free Yeti Tumblr. All you have to do is go to birddogs.com forward slash pool, P-O-O-L. Enter the promo code P-O-O-L for a free Yeti style Tumblr with your order. That's birddogs.com forward slash pool for a free Yeti style Tumblr. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right. So before you get back into that tactical conversation, just a reminder, Chelsea are going on a summer tour, and we're going to be at most of those dates and venues. We're going to be in Raleigh-Durham when they play Wrexham. We're going to be in Philly, Atlanta, and D.C. when they're taking part of the Premier League Summer Series, playing Brighton, Newcastle, and Fulham. We'll not be making the trip to Chicago, unfortunately, for Dortmund. Uh, No Italian beef sandwiches for us. No reenacting scenes from the Bear. But... That is going to be it. Look at, uh, Check out Brent Eventbrite soon to find out where you can kind of see us and get in on those live podcasts we'll be doing. John, I want to pivot to players who lose out a little bit more with this placement. You know, we talked, I think, a, a little bit about players like Kukurea or Aspilicueta. I mean, we started that conversation. I, I did like in one of the videos that you talked about the challenge for Enzo where he was being used in the more Jorginho-like role where he had been dropping back further to join the center-back pairing. But you actually flipped the solution, isn't get a better midfielder, it's go invest in a center-back who can do like what John Stones has done for Manchester City this season. I'm wondering if you see across the complement of defenders that Chelsea have – is there a solution? I mean, we've seen someone like Levi Colwell, who had loan on Brighton, a very good distributor of the ball, very good ability to move forward and press. But we're still maybe have Thiago Silva at the moment, who more likely than not would play centrally in that scenario. What are your thoughts about could that work at Chelsea with the players we have or would it need investment? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, uh, the reason why I would say that the the solution would be moving a centre-back forward rather than a centre-midfielder back is that I think now in the modern game, the recognition is is that the, the centre-midfielders that um, that are playing at the elite level are sort of would be wasted, you know, dropping in between the two centre-backs. You're moving them further away from uh, the, the, the play. Um, obviously, there's there are different um, structures and, and routes that you can do to actually allow that to happen. So there are situations, for example, where Manchester City are playing when Rodri will drop between the the, the centre backs. But for for someone like um Pochettino, um the the halfback as as we're calling it is is usually a centre back who, you know, in against a an opposition uh, front two in a press will will form a situational back three. So you've just got an overload there. So you've got an extra player in the first line of your build up so that when the opposition is trying to press you, you have a, a way out. So there, there's a there's a sense in which, you know, a smart coach for the opposition might recognize that if you're using Enzo Fernandez in that way, if you simply press in a let's say a four four two mid block, what you're going to what you're going to essentially be doing is keeping Enzo Fernandez even further away from from the the important parts of the pitch where you might not want him to do that, um, which I think is is uh, a kind of negative thing. So for me, I would rather have Fernandez further up the pitch and then have someone who is probably closer to a centre back playing in that. I mean, it was Eric Dyer for. Um, 
Pochettino when he was at Spurs. But a, a player like that, uh, you know, a centre back who is going to be good enough on the ball to to uh, be able to to hold the ball, but you want a, a pretty good passer in those situations. Um, and yeah, at the same time, can drop in in defensive transition and help out as well. So, um, I, I, I'd be again, I'd be interested to hear who you guys think that player would be because uh, you know. Levi Colwell is a is a fantastic centre back. I've I've really enjoyed watching him at Brighton this this season. But the role that he's been playing at Brighton is obviously very different to to that kind of role. So um, I think there was a lot of people who suggested um, when I made that video, um, Ethan Ampadu and Trevor Shalaber as as solutions to that problem. And um, I I agree that those are the sorts of players that you want in that in that kind of position. Um, but whether or not Chelsea fans would actually be happy with Ethan Ampadu starting as a as a as a midfielder under Potts. I think maybe once the the rubber hit the road, they would they would start questioning that. But um, I, I think that my sense of it would be that if you were going to bring in someone to play that role, it would probably be it would have to be someone who currently isn't at Chelsea now. But again, I'd be interested to hear who you guys think could be that midfielder who who can sort of play as a pivot player, drop out, uh, help out defensively, but it would be would be a decent progressive passer uh, and and would allow the, that, that sort of system to tick. Sam, we've done a couple of squad reviews so far. Who or do you think that we have that individual within our in our squad at the moment? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we have that individual, to be honest. Like, John said, I think uh, Ampadu is somebody who fits the mold, but his weakness is has always been sort of progression and passing. We did try him in central midfield uh, under Thomas Tuchel in preseason, and uh, he did struggle a little bit to, to impose himself on the ball. And it's, it's a bit of a, a mistake on our part because we put him in like two very, very bad loans. We put him at Venezia and we put him at Spezia and, and both were sort of competing for relegation. Uh, he didn't really have a chance to express himself on the ball. Half of the times, I mean, I think at Venezia, he played seven different positions and at Spezia, he's played three. He's also played uh, fullback, he's played at centre-back, but most prominently, he's played as a centre-back. Ideally, would have wanted him to go in a team where he could express himself either in midfield, either as a centre-back and figure out whether that translates to a to a higher level. But right now, I there's a massive question mark and pre-season might be too short to try and find out whether that works or not. Uh, what John suggested was was is pretty interesting. I mean, I am trying to look at the kind of players we could have bought in. I do look at Manuel Ogate as somebody who could have helped. You know, I've seen him drop in as the third centre-back. He's allowed... Pedro Gonzalez, for example, next to him to try and orchestrate and progress the ball. Morita, who's also been uh, his, his pivot partner, is, is somebody who offers a good level of progression from carries and passes. So somebody with that level of balance, somebody who's also able to counter-press, uh, like John said, extremely good in defensive transition, offers high volume of output, would have been ideal. Obviously, the dream signing would be somebody like an Aurelian Shuameni, but uh, he's not going to come. Um, it's just now trying to find out who the next best option is. Caicedo has played right back under the Zerbi, um, you know, maybe in a deeper position as a centre-back, being that third centre-back in a back four, allowing Enzo Fernandez to be in positions where he can orchestrate and, and try to find the kind of deliveries that he likes. Maybe a solution, maybe why we are looking to press on him. But... Um, a couple of other guys that I've found across Europe, you know, are sort of low-risk investments. But again, uh, does it translate to PL level is a is a massive, massive question. So I would say right now, Kaiseido looks like uh, he could be a good bet. Doesn't have ideal characteristics in terms of the level of progression I would want, but uh, everywhere else, I think he excels. So I think worth the bet. I think it's a really tricky one because like usually, in at least in the European game now, it feels to me as though you you end up with with sort of destroyer sixes or or ball playing sixes um and the problem with this position is it's not really either of those two things you want someone who is going to be a destroyer but who does have the ability to play progressive passing uh, passes so yeah like Caicedo is a great example of of a player who would fit the profile really nicely but the problem is is do you really want to be spending um the amount of money that you have to spend on Caicedo to use them in that role where i feel as though you could, I mean, as we said already, Eric Dyer played the role for 
for for Pochettino at Spurs. And so, for me, the issue is always going to be okay. There's there's high level players who could fit that role, but you're you're sort of wasting money to spend that amount to have someone fitting in this role. Um, But then the problem becomes that when you start looking for the cheaper options. You can't just go for, uh, you know, the sorts of um, defensive midfield pivots who are largely just destroyers. So I'm thinking of someone like Tyler Adams at Leeds has a has a a, a a buyout clause, I think, on relegation. So it would be a much cheaper option than Caicedo. But then the question becomes: Is he going to be able to do the the progressive passing element of that of that role as well? So it is a it's a sort of tricky one for me because I think you could you could fall on a, a really nice cheap. Uh, you know, undervalued gem who could do this role uh, because it is an outlier position, right? There's not a huge amount of uh, teams who are looking for this specific skill set. Um, at the same time, Kaiseido would be absolutely perfect for this role, but you're then spending, you know, 70, 80, 90 million on a player who um, in many respects, like that feels, it feels almost like you're wasting, um, you know, high high value uh, elite money, which you could be spending elsewhere to get a player who's going to, you know, obviously be, causally linked to an increase in goal production, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I think Dan, uh, I mean, Dan and uh, I were sort of talking about this on a previous podcast. I think that's the approach we're probably taking when it comes to center forwards. Mm-hmm. It would have been okay for us to spend 120 million on an Ozyman or you know, yeah. 90 million on Lautaro Martinez, but instead we're going for 30 million on Nicholas Jackson. Uh, we have somebody like Adatro Fofana who's come from Norway. We have somebody like Armando Breuer, who's had um, a season at Southampton. So maybe we are looking at one of those three guys to come in and prove that they're able to make that position their own. So we're moving away from probably expending the kind of money, like you said, you shouldn't be doing. Uh, But I think when it comes to central midfield, we also recognize that we've lost three first-choice starters in the space of seven months. So who is it that plays next to Enzo? So I think that's where the panic was. You either get Declan Rice or you get Moises Caicedo. And then from there, you probably try to find the next competitors to these these two midfielders. And the question then becomes, can you find a 30 million Enzo competitor? Can you find a 30 million more Skysedo competitor? And I think that's where uh, the scouting, the recruitment setup that we had at the club sort of comes into being next season. Like you mentioned, there are a lot of good guys. It's just, do you want to take a risk at a time when top four becomes near essential because we have nothing else to fight for next season. Absolutely. And it is worth saying that we are, I'm, I, well, I am assuming that, you know, what we're going to see is a 4-2-3-1 shape. Um, it could, be, it could well be the case that we actually see that 3-4-3 shape, in which case, you know, Enzo Fernandez alongside Caicedo is like an absolutely fantastic two-man midfield. So, um, that that could be their thinking as well, um, and it, as you say, like going a little bit cheaper on the on the number nine could be simply a way of being able to guarantee that you sort out the midfield, which, as we've already said, is like a, is the problem area. But I guess my my gut feeling on these things is always if you're in a situation where you want to get top four, the easiest way to sort of short term sticking plaster approach it is to lump your money in the number on the number nine spot which has been a problem for Chelsea for the last few seasons anyway right so um but this is this is this is squad building uh you know 101 this is the these are the questions that your directors of football and your managers have to be thinking about how you know what are the areas that we are going to aim to improve we can't do that thing anymore really because of FFP and whatever where we just basically buy elite players in every position immediately in one window you have to think about the way that you're going to do it you're going to approach it the areas that you're going to do this window and then window plus one window plus two window plus three thinking into the future as well so it's going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out and it's it's just it's even more difficult to do all this because we just don't have a clue what Pochettino is going to do so a lot of this is just speculation right well as we continue to theory craft our way forward on the pitch because we talked about the defense and now midfield thinking about the attack which has been the source of many of Chelsea's problems over the past several seasons. We know Nkunku is coming in. He was announced yesterday officially. We did pass on a deal to keep Joao Felix permanently or bring him back on loan. We have a petulant striker in Lukaku who does or doesn't want to be in particular places that Chelsea are or not trying to find a location for him or a home for him. And we know that Kai Havertz is on his way to the other side of London to go play with Arsenal. So we know that we have Mikhail Mudrik, we know Nani Madueke, we have Armando Broya coming back healthy, we have uh, David Dottro Fofana who joined the team last season, albeit with uh, limited minutes and availability. We've got Aubameyang who looks likely to go somewhere else. 
This and Raheem uh, Sterling as well, in addition to Christian Pulisic, another individual rumored to potentially leave this summer. So we've got another area of the pitch where the massive reboot is underway. Is there a a group that you could cobble together? Sam did, uh, and I did this exercise the other day of like, what would a starting match day one against Liverpool, Poch maybe gets Jackson in, so we'll give you uh, give you Jackson as well. What is the starting attacking individuals that Chelsea would put out onto the pitch? Yeah, this is. I mean, this is tough because it's it's funny because you look at the squad and it feels as though defense in the defensive areas you've just got so many players to pick from, <laughs> and then in the forward areas it's you know at the moment it's five maybe. Um, with, with with I guess give give or take what happens with that David Dutra Fafana Pulisic um, for example, but the way that I'm looking at it is that by the end of the window. Um, you will have Sterling and Mudrick probably as options on the left-hand side. Obviously, Sterling can play either side. Uh, Madueke on the right. Um, Nkunku can play everywhere. In the, and let's, I'm just thinking of like four slots here, basically. So a 10, 9, and then either side. Um, you've got Armando Breuer. I'm not entirely sure where he's at in terms of his fitness, um, but he'll be the backup nine, I suspect. And then the question is who who you get in as a nine. You've su- suggest, suggested Nicholas Jackson from Villarreal, which seems to be the, the one that, that people are talking about. Um, I, I guess the way that I would think about this is that it's either going to be a, a four-man attack or a three-man attack, depending on what shape you use further down the field. So if it's a 4-2-3-1, you'll obviously have a 10 in the front three. Uh, if it's the 3-4-3, three, three, then it will just be a front three, um, which changes things a little bit because I think that Pochettino would like to get someone like Nkunku um, uh, in the 10 slot. Actually, not mention uh, Mason Mount. I guess we're sort of uh, intrinsically writing him off, but that, that maybe isn't fair because I think that when you look at, uh, for example, his Spurs side, uh, Mason Mount would be perfect in the Christian Eriksen role, which is, you know, a sort of inverting wide player on the right who comes inside, can can drop in, help out with build up, can move inside to press if needed, um, is a little bit more flexible than than the the winger on the on the on the left hand side. Um so yeah, Mason Mount is an option, but um, yeah, I, I, again, I have no idea what he'll be doing. So uh, if you, if we say that it's like Madueke Mount as potentials for those two positions, or Mount as a, as a backup potentially to Unkunku in the ten, again, there's so much flexibility with Unkunku that you can literally play him wherever you want as well. So um, I would su- I would suspect it will be something like on opening day if they play the forty three one shape, try and get Unkunku into the ten. Have a number nine. So let's say Jackson for the the time being, just as a placeholder, uh, and then uh, Madueke on the on the right, unless Mount is available, in which case he could play. Uh, and then on the left, I think it might just be Sterling starting and then Mudrick coming on as an impact sub. Um, but again, I could see it being either way. I could see him being happy to start Mudrick as well. And then in the front three, you have the flexibility of being able to play Nkunku as as a as a nine or as 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 a as a player on either side but i think if they play that front three in a three four three that's when you're more likely to have to see someone like mason mount because you need a little bit more flexibility if you want someone who can drop into the midfield area um and out of possession i think you you'll often see um that that wide right player dropping onto the opposition pivot player uh, which i think is a really key um, movement in 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 modern Premier League football anyway, so that that could be that could be fascinating to see how how that one works out because I I don't really see anyone else being able to 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 do that in the current setup. Um, but I think it would then be Unkunku. Uh, I don't know Unkunku. I don't know. It could be it could it could legitimately be anyone because there is quite a lot of flexibility in in that front line. You could play Sterling either side. You could play Mount on the on the right um, and have him dropping in. I, or, or I suppose on the on the left as well. Um, the you're going to get Nkunku in there, right? Um, so that will be the that will be the the one. And then the, then the question is whether or not you're happy to play Nkunku on in a wide position, and then and then the nine up front, or whether or not if you play that front three, Nkunku becomes the nine, uh, and then you fiddle things around. But I've, I feel as though I'm sort of flying all sheets to the wind here because there's so many different options, and uh, again, it's it's almost impossible to say. Uh, what the structure is going to be right now. So hopefully that gives a bit of a, a sense of what could happen. So thinking about maybe the larger change, we obviously are talking about pieces being changed on the board, but the player of the game has changed with Pochettino coming in. 
I know that you did a spaces with the coach's voice around the time that Pochettino was being linked. And this was when the carousel of candidates was being bandied around with Luis Enrique, Nagelsmann, Diego Simeone, many others. Anyone who was willing to raise their hand would be considered for a moment and get a lottery ticket. And Pochettino was the one who ended up landing the job. I guess looking at the squad that Chelsea have, maybe we think or have thought or at least uh, maybe have group thunk ourselves together on the idea that Pochettino, with the way that he's jumped into sides, grown players, at, at, has shown an ability to coach individuals up and to really instill high pressing and intensity into teams for where this Chelsea side currently is, it maybe feels like to me that he's the right guy for the job in this moment. Is that what your sense is based upon your observation, how much you've watched of him previously? Speaking as an outsider and a neutral in that, that respect, I think looking at the Chelsea job as it presented to itself this summer, you know, we've just gone through a, a season where the Chelsea managerial job has chewed up three coaches in a row. Um, Thomas Tuchel, who is without doubt one of the the, the, the elite coaches in the world. Um, and then... Graham Potter, who was like one of the up and coming elite coach, coaches in the world and, and was thought very highly of. And then a club legend in Frank Lampard. And I don't think any one of those three comes out of this season with any sort of um, with any sort of glory. Um, and I think when that happens, you have to recognize that, you know, the problem there is the job, not the not the managers. Um, and so I think that there's a sense in which any manager looking at this potential job, knowing that, you know, We've seen that it's it's a, an outlier job because you've got a, a, a completely unwieldy squad that is completely lumpy. It's also a team that isn't going to be in the Champions League next season. Um, that I think that raises uh, probably alarm bells for for coaches. So I think that just puts you in a situation where you're you know you're you're at the behest of of, of a manager who can come in. And I think on, on the on the back of that, and given what we said about Pochettino in terms of we don't really know where he's at tactically. Um, there's a little bit of a, a, a blank period in his in his CV off the back of that. Um, that the, the the reason why you ended up with with um, with someone like Pochettino, I think, is because both the, the the club and the manager needed each other at that at that moment. Which I hope isn't like too too negative a way of putting it. But um, you know you know when 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 you have the season that you just had, um, then you sort of have to accept that. Um, with with the manager that you're getting, there's going to be an element of risk involved in that, um, which isn't to say that Pochettino isn't a great manager. And I think, you know, in many respects, given what we've seen happening this summer at Chelsea and the, this complete overhaul of the squad, it, it could well be the case that Pochettino is the perfect manager to oversee that that kind of um, that over overhaul. Um, but I suppose, yeah, again, the 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 big questions that I would have is. You know what is what is Pochettino or Chelsea going to get? Is Pochettino that we had at Spurs still actually the the, the sort of elite coach that can um, that can um, get the most out of out of a really elite squad? How much was um, Pochettino's possession play carried by certain individuals? Is his out of possession approach still viable at the highest level of the game. These, these are this is the risk that Chelsea have taken on. Right, is that it could be the case that this all works out perfectly. It could be the case that actually some of those ideas uh, do need updating a little bit, and it could take a little bit of time for Pochettino to solve those problems with his coaching team as well. So, um, I yeah, I, I feel bad coming on a on a Chelsea podcast and and sort of being a not a harbinger of doom because I don't think there's doom there at all. But I do think that you, there there are concerns here which may be just only minor concerns. Um, but those concerns exist precisely because of the season that you just had and the squad that was was almost unmanageable. And um, I suppose the, the the good upside that you have from that is that it looks as though you've made the right decisions early on, move players on. Um, you've been able to move players on, which has been really helpful. And now you're in a situation where the manager can sit down and say, right, these, these are the areas where we've got weaknesses. This is the structure I want to play. These are the sorts of profiles that I need. So, yeah, I think that um, once once you s sit where we're sitting and look back over what's happened, I think it's definitely been the best uh, of possible worlds that could have unfolded. Um, 
but I think the Pochettino, I think, is is a good coach, as good co- uh, coach as any, to oversee that process as well. So, yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated to see what happens with Chelsea. And I know that's again, that's not a nice thing for maybe Chelsea fans to hear because I am a neutral in this. Um, but this is, you know, th- there's so many like there's so many fluctuations here that I find interesting. That move away from Abramovich to um, to a, a, an American owner, the move that we've seen in modern football I think into the Pep Guardiola era where you have to do you have to be at the really elite level tactically to be able to compete uh, over the course of seasons both in domestic leagues but also in European competition uh, and then the fact that this squad is is sort of being pulled apart as a back three squad could be rebuilt as a back four squad there's so many like moving parts we don't know what's going to be where who's going to be who and so like as a as a as a neutral guy who is interested in the tactics this is this is really really fascinating so it'll be fun let's let's say that is that a fair compromise that sounds fair to me that it would be a fun period or at least a hopefully a refreshing moment in time for Chelsea supporters at least early in the season we'll see what happens as everything plays out here in the months that follow ahead of this situation uh, we are going to take one last ad break before we get into talking just a little bit more about Pochettino and then answering all of your wonderful listener questions uh, so stay tuned and we will be right back so john a wise man once said um possession is nine tenths of the law and a wiser man said that out of possession is nine tenths <laughs> of the game so do you think that uh what you've seen from pochettino's teams out of possession his pedigree against top level opponents do you think he's the right man for year two year three should he get there of this Chelsea project? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And um, I'll refer you to another wise man who made a, a thread on Pochettino as a potential Chelsea manager, um, a guy called CFC Central on, on Twitter. I don't know if you, you guys have heard of him. Um, but I think this, you know, you raised a lot of these questions in in your your thread about Pochettino as Chelsea manager. And uh, I think there's a lot, a lot of pertinent ideas in there. So the, 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 the principal one being that actually Pochettino's out of possession play, particularly this high pressing um, and intense uh, out of possession approach that he has is quite chaotic, is quite unstructured. It is based around quickly winning the ball back Um I mean, even in the, even in the attacking phase, winning second balls is really important. Um, and I think back when when Spurs were were really competing at the highest level, we had you know we had Liverpool doing that as well, and um, we've since seen Liverpool drop off a little bit in their in their pressing, um, in in terms of the the intensity of that press, and it's caused them huge problems this season. So I think I think there's a, there's a question here, which is one: how well is this squad suited to a really intense pressing game? Uh, but there's also a bigger question, which is. Um, do you really get the upside from this this sort of aggressive counter press um the uh, and and a sort of very unstructured aggressive intense high press that that Pochettino has become known for and i think for me we're moving into an, an uh, a period where oppositions in the premier league now are so talent heavy that they have the ability to cause problems to those sorts of unstructured aggressive um presses um we've seen Jesse Marsh at Leeds in the the last in the last season and i think there's a sense in which teams now have solutions to those intense presses so i think you know Leeds caused problems to teams who were trying to build up from the back um but at the same time there was a lot of teams who recognized that actually if you play the ball over the press um that that Leeds were 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 putting up then you can get a huge amount of joy out of causing them problems um both in terms of you know going direct at their at their back line but also in terms of if you if you just sit deep and you refuse to engage with their press then they lose a huge upside of, of their game as well and i think that would that would probably be a question that that Pochettino would have to face but i also kind of feel as though um the we've seen so much of a of a of an evolution in out of possession approaches even in the last 5 years um that every elite coach now is having to go through this process to an extent regardless of what approach they have out of possession so it's not just the case that the guys who have had these sort of fairly intense unstructured high presses 
uh, are suddenly the the ones who are, are losing out. I think that you know coaches who play passive mid blocks are, are having to rethink things through as well, um, because just the the, the way that the, the modern game has gone has been the realization that if you can cause problems in any game state uh, and in any any phase of play, then you're going to get an upper hand against teams. So I, th- I think that's a, a general consensus for a lot of these um, a lot of these coaches. But what I would say with Pochettino is that because you know, it's such a narrow press because you are, you're sort of having to get your attacking unit largely around the ball in order to win those second ball backs, balls back, and then use your fullbacks for width in order to uh, allow that to be possible. There are ways of, of playing around presses. There are ways of playing into um, certain areas on the pitch that are left exposed that I think, again, uh, I would recommend anyone goes goes back and reads Sam's thread because the, he he points them out really uh, systematically there. Um, those are going to be the questions that that are raised by Pochettino. But I I believe that he will and and he will bring in um, out of possession specialists as well now because I just don't think that you can be a a really elite coach and not have someone who is an out of possession specialist in your coaching staff. Those will be. Uh, problems that will be resolved as the season goes on as well. So, yeah, I, I'm, again, I'm really fascinated to see how this plays out because we are having to see coaches in the in real time solve problems uh, and and think of new um, new ways of approaching the out of possession aspect of the game. So we're going to shift to a couple of wonderful listener questions. We curate these from our Discord community through Patreon. And so we want to make sure we get to those during this episode. We did, throughout the course of our conversation, answer a few of them, like TK Latte asking a little bit about Poch as a candidate for Chelsea, Skippy1287 asking about the different types of center backs we have on the team and how they might work in in Poch's system, and then also Blue London 1905's question about just – what or how much is going to change or kind of come over from the the Tottenham time. But I want to take two that are maybe a little broader and then also take us maybe a little bit more out of the day-to-day or what we know currently. So again, a little bit more of that theory crafting, a little bit more of that gamesmanship. McLeasy asking the question of, is there a future Ballon d'Or winner in this Chelsea side? And if so, who? I mean, it's got to be Nkunku, surely. Um not, not least because Ballon d'Or winners always have to be sort of goal scorers that slash creators. So, yeah, he would be the obvious candidate, I think. Um, I don't, Enzo Fernandez is brilliant um, and deserves to be in that conversation of like really elite players, but um, is is a sort of really high volume, creative number eight going to be in 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 the Ballon d'Or winner quest, uh, conversation? Probably not. Um, which more to the detriment of the Ballon d'Or, in my opinion. It would be more about going and signing a player who is capable of winning the Ballon d'Or currently without being at Chelsea and then bringing them to Chelsea to actually have (laughs) a Ballon d'Or winner at Chelsea. Yeah, that's cheating, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's cheating if we define the rules that way, but uh, (laughs) this is a theory question. Um, Then Grizz asked the question of reports suggested Poch is interested in uh, Lerato Martinez. Uh, that's unlikely to require them, who do they think likely stri- uh, striker targets are that they can fit in? And what do they think about Broy under Poch? We talked about it a little bit, just maybe from more from a fitness perspective, how it might fit in. Um, so maybe more just in the sense of, we, we've talked about Jackson a little bit. Uh, I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch of him or look into him, John, if you think he seems like he's going to be a good fit for Chelsea or you know, you do a sensible transfers or Tifa does a sensible transfers type of situation. Mm-hmm. Are there other names that you've looked at and you said, huh, that looks like a player who'd be really good for Chelsea? Yeah. I mean, in terms of Nicholas Jackson, I'm no expert and I'm sure Sam has watched every minute that he's played for Villarreal. And I think he was on loan in the second tier last season as well. So I'll, I'll leave him to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, from the impression I get is that he's a sort of inside 4D uh, winger who, who can also play as a mobile nine and has actually blown up quite nice nicely as a, as a, as playing as a nine this season under Kike Setien uh, towards the end, which is why he got the, the I guess why the, the move is, is probably happening. Um, fascinating to see how that, that plays out. But uh, Sam, have you managed to watch much of Jackson? Well, I did do that. I was actually just uh, going through his games before the pod. I was watching that and then keeping an eye on Spain and uh, Romania in the under-21 years. So um, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it was actually Unai Emery who uh, placed a lot of faith in him, mm-hmm. made sure that he made the jump. I think that's why Villa was sort of linked with him uh, very strongly in this window. I mean, we know that he failed a medical at Bournemouth. Uh, but absolutely that. I think he's just <clears throat> a wide man who's 
transitioned into playing a number nine. Um, I was having this conversation with another friend um, on Twitter and, and he made some interesting observations saying that there are some number nine runs that he tends to catch a couple of seconds late. So it looks like he's still sort of getting into um, this, this mindset of playing as the lone focal point. He obviously loves being outside, loves being you know, in on the wings where he can beat players, where he can run towards the center and then set people up. Got a lot of solid ingredients. He's also got a fair bit of hold-up play for somebody who's not very good in the air. Uh, good burst of pace, but uh, I think he will need developing. It's just something that Pochettino likes working with. It's mm -hmm. just a very fertile, um, you know, a bag of clay. And I think uh, it's just up to Pochettino to to mold him into the kind of striker that he sees fit. Um, uh, there is a lot of work to be done, though. It does look like he will require coaching, especially in terms of his decisions inside the box. He does score a lot, uh, but those tend to be sort of these tap-ins at the far post, um, not those runs that he's consciously making towards the front post or peeling away and then scoring. So uh, that's one thing that I would definitely be keeping an eye on. Um, with respect to Breuer, I, I thought that last season would probably have, you know, been the perfect time for him to just play against set defenses and hone the kind of weaknesses we've seen in his game. Mm -hmm. When we looked at him in Southampton, he was fantastic running on transition. He is an athletic freak, you know, somebody who's six feet three and, and runs with the kind of pace and acceleration that he does. In that system, he was phenomenal to watch. But um, a lot of aspects of his game, the kind of decisions he makes against set defenses, the kind of movements he has when, when the ball is out wide, very, very raw. It just looks like he hasn't developed those sides of his game at all. Um, so I do think he will need extensive work there. But then again, a lot also relies on, like John said, how quickly can he come back to full fitness? Uh, we are hearing reports that he's come back early uh, in, from pre-seasons and he's sort of training with the U21s to make sure that he's up to shape before Pochettino takes over, which is a good decision. Uh, but a lot of work to be done there as well. So I think, like John mentioned, I see Breuer as the backup nine and I would see Jackson as somebody who's given a fair amount of time to cultivate those aspects and become the kind of number nine, which hopefully suits uh, the front four. Would you say then that Nkunku is going to be used as a 10 primarily and, and how do you think he would fit? Is, is it sort of on an unwritten expectation that if you know either of those two nines that we just talked about in Breuer and, and Jackson don't work out, then at least you've got Nkunku to fall back on? I think so. I think that absolutely factors into the thinking. Something interesting that I noticed with Villarreal was um, a couple of seasons ago when I was watching Gerard Moreno as a potential strike option, um, loved sort of playing, you know, up, up front, but also dropping and being like, like sort of like this deep lying forward. But when he's played with Jackson, he's almost played as a second striker. So he's used Nicholas Jackson as somebody who's probably a yard or two in front of both centre-backs. And then he's using that to run beyond Jackson, mm -hmm. which is exactly what Nkunku likes to do. So I can see certain mechanics of it working. They've also got uh, Jeremy Pino on the left-hand side, who's pretty much like a Mudrik, I would say, uh, a left-winger who's mm -hmm. very good 1v1, somebody who's very direct, loves running at defenders. Um, also using Jackson as a 1-2 kind of on the wings and then running into space behind. So... Those dynamics in terms of how he works in a 4-2-3-1 with enough mm -hmm. people to link up with, with enough ways to you know make those one-two connections into the box to try and drop deep and, and vacate the box for other runners. I think that solid foundation is why we moved for him. It's just now cultivating the kind of movements and um, decision-making that he's probably lacking in his game right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think Nkunku is going to be perfect playing as... As in that sort of second striker partnership as well, there will be a lot of fluidity in that front four, you'd think, right? And um, yeah, it's it's kind of fun seeing all of those those fluid fluid players in there. And uh, Chelsea still not going for an out and out nine profile is is fun, I guess. Well, when we think about fun and attack, that has not been <laughs> Chelsea over the past number of seasons. So the fact that you referred to it as a fun thing is probably the most positive note we could start to wrap this conversation on <laughs> so that we don't get into the Chelsea attack doom cycle that has existed for the last couple of I seasons. Know, I don't know if John knows, but at, at one point um, I was so scared of our attack completely failing us that I was I had a perpetual tab open of 
the European top five leagues and how many teams had scored more goals than us and how many had <laughs> not. And which of those had entered the relegation races? We were 75th out of 99. Wow. And ev- almost three, uh, apart from, I think, four sides, everybody else was in the relegation fight or in relegation spots. And I was, I was terrified. So, um, massive PTSD from, from the kind of attacking votes <laughs> that you had. Uh, Lukaku is still at the club. Um, so, yes, I think uh, some trauma never goes away. But hopefully, hopefully we've got uh, a future Ballon d'Or winner. <laughs> you know, in our ranks, John's yeah. given us the stamp of approval. So uh, I'm, I'm going to ride that uh, towards towards the sunset. So hopefully that <laughs> comes to fruition. Well, John, we can't thank you enough for coming to chat with us today, talk a little bit about Chelsea, bring you in as a neutral observer and just a individual football savant who could sprinkle some additional wisdom into our lives and understanding a little bit more about the game. So thank you so much. And uh, is there any last note of hope you might leave Chelsea supporters <laughs> with? Well, thank you so much for, for having me on. And as I said, I will be watching watching Chelsea with, with interest. Um, I do feel bad for having waffled on a lot about stuff that most people don't find that interesting but um i also feel silly for being asked to talk about football when you've got sam right here as well um you guys are really lucky to have his insight yeah he's, he's a brilliant guy uh but thank you so much for actually inviting me on uh it's, it's i think this is the first chelsea podcast i've ever done so um yeah thank you thank you for having me on well i was gonna say an important thing is the chelsea supporters then listening to this need to let john know that this is a safe space for him to come back to and uh <laughs> respond positively to the messages shared here but go ahead sam no, I was just saying, I love the fact that John sort of, you know, always uses Edgar Allan Poe sort of, you know, voice whenever he's talking about our hopes. Like, I will be watching, <laughs> watching from the chamber door. Um, he's left us with with a lot. And I would I would love to say this to him. Like, this is the first time we're having a conversation. Um, even before I met him, I was watching TFO videos and I was watching his work. And uh, a lot of what I know today, a lot of what constitutes my humble knowledge base comes from him. Uh, he's an absolute gold mine of of uh, of knowledge of of insights and more importantly he's an absolute gem of a person so it's been an honor to have you on the podcast and um, you know just to have this conversation with you it's just one of the privileged perks i have of of working with LIBP that i get to talk to people like you so thank you so much yeah that's very kind and i would love to come back on whenever you want me so yeah do do get in touch well, we, we will make sure to find a date in your calendar that works. But before our listeners become insane with long intervals of horrible sanity, a little additional Poe there for you as well. We are going to wrap this one up. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the London Blue Podcast. We hope you're staying safe and staying well. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep a blue flag flying high.